I was by far not the best musician in town. Mm -hmm. And so then it's time to roll your sleeves up and, and get better. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like Time Jumpers has been like the coolest experience because all these guys are virtuosos at their instruments. Mm -hmm. And they're, and we're all like each other's biggest cheerleader, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're all egging each other on and pushing each other and, and forcing each other out of our comfort zones to like not play the same kind of things every night on the same song but mm -hmm. like go out there you're listening to for the record conversations about music mixing and the creative industry today's guest is jeff taylor jeff describes himself as the most fortunate accordion player on the planet the most fortunate accordion player on the planet huh <laughs> that's what i think i came here <laughs> that's not my fault either uh i came here as a piano player in 1990 yeah and i wanted to be involved in the christian music business i heard amy and michael w's records and i thought wow that's a cool sound i want to be a part of that so i came down here with a handful of songs and uh I wound up not doing any of that for years. I wound up being uh, uh, being hired as a band leader at Opryland USA. There used to be a theme park here. Wow. So I was a band leader there for six years and did different shows every year. And I was also their, their uh, audition accompanist. Okay. So I got to fly around on their little private jet and go to all these great cities and, and uh, audition people for Opryland. I was a piano player. Yeah. And... Uh, but during that time, at about 1992, I guess, I had become really good friends with an amazing uh, piano player and accordion player named Jeff Lizenby. And uh, we lost Jeff this year in January 6th. He was mm -hmm. my best friend for about 31 years. And uh, he had been throwing me a ton of piano work on the side, other than my band leader stuff. Like, there was a lot of gigs at the Opryland Hotel. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was in full bloom. I mean, there was, you know, in any week you could do easily, you know, 10 or 12 gigs there Yeah. on top of what you were doing. And he had more work than he could do. And so he was throwing me a lot. He found out that both of us could sight read well. I was really mm -hmm. blessed that uh, my, I had classical training at Eastman School of Music when I, I had parents that recognized a God-given talent and they watered that garden really well and mm -hmm. sacrificed a lot for me. And uh, so I came here with a lot of skills across all kinds of uh, genres, mm -hmm. uh, classical, uh, some jazz, cl uh, country, gospel, bluegrass, wow. Celtic, all that stuff I had played. And a lot of ethnic music in my father's band since I was 10 years old. Huh. His accordion player moved away to Chicago oh, nice. <laughs> uh, to, for a job, and I knew all the music and uh in my dad's band i was playing accordion and and uh my uh uh dad went to the union and asked him if i could play with the big people you know mm -hmm. and they said well he can't join the union uh but uh this is old italian guys but uh if dad's on stage he can play the gig you know <laughs> so i was making twenty dollars for a four-hour gig in 1967, which the adults were real happy with. My my trumpet teacher at school was one of the other players in the band, and he was making 20 bucks, and so was I, but he was paying work dues, and I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> 
So anyways, uh, I say that all to say that when I was 18, uh, I... I sold. I traded my accordion for a three thirty five electric guitar. I thought I'd get more girls, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> and never looked back. and And I moved here when I was thirty three years old. And everybody's doing the math and going, "This guy's old," uh, and they're correct. But uh, anyways, I I moved here and I didn't even own. I hadn't pl- touched an accordion in fifteen years. Mm-hmm. And then in 1992, after Jeff had sent me on all these gigs and and Broadway show kind of things and whatnot, uh, he asked me one day, he said, uh, you ever play accordion? And I said, kind of embarrassed. Uh, I said, yeah, but I I didn't tell him I never liked it. But I said, yeah, I did, but (laughs) I don't even own one. He goes, well, you need to buy one like this week. And Jeff wasn't very assertive if you knew him at all. But so I thought, oh, okay. So I came home and told my wife and we scraped up like $250 and bought one in the trader's post, you know, and, and I fixed the keys with Bondo and and paid for it in about a week with gigs that Jeff had given me. Uh-huh. And, uh, and but I still, you know, I, I never really connected with the instrument. I didn't think it was cool or anything. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, Fast forward, I was assistant conductor at TPAC for several years, along with doing Opryland stuff. And I was we were doing Fiddler on the Roof, and it okay. was a really great production. That music is brilliant. Uh, the libretto, the, everything about that show is fantastic. And there's an accordion book that's like 95% accordion and a couple of chill-ass parts in it, right? And we had all these like A team players in the pits, like you know Mike Haynes playing trumpet, Barry uh, playing trombone, and but Dennis Soli was playing clarinet. And you know Dennis, I mean he's he's like one of the most brilliant, wise old men, jazz sax players in town. Uh, Okay, yeah, and a great clarinet player. Well, he's playing these lines, and there's these like kind of klezmer lines, right? Uh, sunrise, sunset. There's these little fills that are real, kind of really cool klezmer, mm-hmm. I would call them. And uh, Dennis is just milking them, and I had this literal epiphany. I thought I had to play the lines with him. Some of them were unison lines, and I thought. I'm a wind instrument. I can do kind of what Dennis is doing. You know, this is an expressive instrument. And that's when I realized that that it wasn't that I didn't like the accordion. It was that I never connected with polkas, mm-hmm. which is largely what my dad's band played. You know, we mm-hmm. played other stuff, but it wasn't until I started playing other music. Then I started playing uh, jazz and swing. I was playing with this group, the Time Jumpers. Uh, which has been together for 22 years, started out the station in. Early on, I was the piano player in that group. Mm-hmm. And I came in one day, I was going on a mission trip to Mexico the very next day, flying out at six in the morning. And I came in with an accordion. I didn't bring my piano. Yeah. And I apologized to the whole group as I was walking in. I go, man, sorry, I'm going to just play accordion tonight because I don't want to deal with the loadout. I got to get on a plane in the morning. And I got done that night, and Hoot and Dennis Crouch and uh, everybody in the band, Andy Reese, they're all going, man, leave the piano home. This is our sound, huh. you know? And because I discovered a way to blend with the fiddles. 
Yeah. There's there's three fiddles in the time jumpers, and on an accordion, uh, the particular one that I was using, it's it's a I won't go deep into it, but it's a tone chamber instrument, and I used one single reed, a bassoon reed, they call it. And it has kind of a covered sound like this, okay. you know. Yeah. And so it takes the nasalness away. So I don't have any edge like the fiddles have all the edge, and they're mm. up here. Mm-hmm. And so I'm down a little bit lower with no edge, and I'm like kind of like a cello thing. Yeah. You're and when I space. yeah, I'm fe- I found my harmonic space, and it wasn't cluttering things up, you know, like I might, you know, with with a piano. But then, you know, years later, Vince was in the band for about seven or eight years. And he asked me, he's the one that asked me to bring a piano because we were going to do a few more country mm-hmm. things. And so now I play about half piano and half accordion, which is great because, you know, my piano work went up because, you know, you're people in this town will pigeonhole you as something. Mm-hmm. And I play a bunch of instruments, but I got, I'm known as an accordion player. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm totally good with that at this point. Yeah. You know, it's like Jerry Douglas is known as a, as, as a dobro player because he's, you know, kind of redefined that instrument. Mm. And at some point, not too many years ago, I finally figured out I, I can make a good living as a piano player here, mm-hmm. but all my high profile work most of my high profile work is is related to the accordion hmm. and part of that is you know there's 800 accordion players in the union book right or i mean 800 piano players in the union book mm-hmm. and there's only a handful of, of accordion players in the union book and of that handful there's only a few of them that are serious about it mm-hmm. you know several of them are just keyboard players that own an accordion and can make accordion noises on it yeah uh, <laughs> right but uh, <laughs> But anyways, I mean, and also, and now as I'm getting older, I'm I'm more, I'm, I've got a real serious passion for, for guys your age, mm-hmm. you know, getting interested in the instrument to carry it on and to and mm-hmm. and I've discovered several producers in town and some of them pretty high profile that really believe in the instrument and realize. This is a cool instrument. Mm-hmm. Like like you know in the 60s probably it was or maybe 70s the B3 organ mm-hmm. like came in and wound up like it was on everything and now it's it's on every every country song and every session practically that there is. There's always B3. And I'm going, well, you know, the accordion is every bit as flexible and and uh, you know it can fill various sonic spaces Mm -hmm. in many ways like a b3 can it's like this organic cool sound Mm -hmm. and uh there's quite a few producers that are believing in that i'm going you know i'm not going to be around forever and i want i want to i want to get some young younger players you know bit with the bug and it so i started this nashville accordion society oh yeah and uh and my friend jeff lisenby and i started it in uh uh with a couple others and it's been really successful we've got a couple of dozen players at all levels you know from beginners to and some of them are friends of mine who play keyboards that i've gotten to Mm -hmm. you know get a little more serious about uh accordion but there's a few younger guys that uh you know, Alex and, and Anthony that are really wonderful. And they're actually guys that I can throw work to when I can't do it. Oh, nice. So 
So that's a good thing. But yeah. uh, no, accordion really. I, I look at it as God's sense of humor too, you know, like, because I, I mean, seriously, he loves to use the weak things, you know, that's his, he's in the business of using the weak things. And I thought of all the instruments in this room, you know, years ago, I would have told you that accordion was the one I was almost like ashamed of, mm-hmm. you know, cause it's a joke instrument. Mm-hmm. Now I got banjos hanging on the wall too. That's a whole nother. That's a whole nother disease. I'm seeing a therapist about that. But, but uh, no, it, I I look at it as as God going. At some point, he's like, "Okay, you think it's weak? Uh, I'm going to make it your calling card. How do you like that?" Yeah. And he did, and I started getting called by people like Ricky Skaggs and 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 you know Vince and. Uh, Elvis Costello, Harry Connick Jr., you know, did you know where where they'd need accordion on one song or two songs or whatever? Yeah, and uh, I I kind of became one of the guys. Uh, I also have to mention Joey Miskelin, who's the the uh, he's an absolute genius accordion player who has played with the Riders in the Sky for decades, and he's produced their records. Okay. Uh, and he was here way before I was, and he was like the guy, you mm-hmm. know, an accordion on all these records, you know, uh, it's on Garth or whatever, you know, if they want accordion, they get Joey Miskelin. And uh, when Joey was touring a bunch with the Riders, we had met, and he had heard me play, and we became friends. And uh, and just like Jeff Lisenby, he like rolled the red carpet out for me. He told his wife, he said, hey, you know, Patty, if if... If somebody calls for a session while I'm out on the road, give him Jeff Taylor's number. He'll show up on time. He'll do a great job. They'll love him. Yeah. You know, no worries there. And so it it, it also revealed something that you're probably finding out in these interviews, mm-hmm. I, I hope, that, that Nashville is a fraternal town. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not competitive, in my mind at least. I hate competition. Yeah. I hate I hate being compared to other players. Mm-hmm. We're all different. Everybody everybody approaches piano differently or accordion differently or guitar differently. Mm-hmm. And and this town is full of all these like the best player in their hometown mm-hmm. that moved here. And that's why I moved here. I was the best player in my hometown and that's boring. Mm-hmm. You know? I wanted to move someplace, and it was at my wife's suggestion. I was building houses with a couple guys, and she said, you know, music would be easier on your knees, and I think you're more gifted at She said, I think it's... a reason to go into music. Yeah. (laughs) She said, I think it's better than, you know, it's like your best gift, and uh, and she doesn't even listen to music, which is is probably why we're still married after 39 years. She's not impressed with anything I do. (laughs) So I'm seeing, so you have a lot of accordions kind of sitting around, and we were kind of talking earlier that that there's a lot of unique qualities to them. But to the average person, like me probably going into this interview, I was like, an accordion, by and large, is an accordion, which is probably just not the case. So what are some of the differences in accordions? Uh, well, uh, obviously, there's different sizes. And and so some of them I've, I've got for travel. and But there's, with different kinds of music, like, for instance... Uh, well, let me start with it. 
It's the right hand that people are in, interested in hearing. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the left hand, the buttons, which everybody goes, why are there so many buttons? Well, it's just for self-accompanying. It's mm-hmm. so that you can go around and be your own mm-hmm. band, right? Yeah. So, But the, it's the right hand that gets recorded in, generally. Mm-hmm. Uh, You're usually and, not doing both? Uh, yeah, I am because I'm an accordion player, but sure. uh, I, I'm like on time jumpers. I've got it. I've got the mic turned off on the left hand because gotcha. nobody needs to hear boom chuck out of me. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got a whole rhythm section to do that, mm-hmm. and that it's it's the right hand. But there in accordions, generally, uh, if you think of it as an organ, maybe because that's a little more accessible. Mm-hmm. There's there's a there's a low in general. There's a low reed, which would be like your sixteen footer on a on a on an organ, mm-hmm. uh, and that they call it the bassoon reed. Then there's a middle reed, which is, they'd call a clarinet. That'd be an eight footer. And then there's a piccolo reed, which is a four footer. Mm-hmm. They they don't always have a piccolo reed, but the okay. large ones do. What makes an accordion, the first thing that makes accordions way different is they'll put more than one middle reed in. Okay. And they will detune one of them. And that okay. automatically gives you a different quality. Mm-hmm. So I've got all these accordions where, where like the the one right next to you is there's two reeds in the middle and one low. But when I have those two reeds in the middle on, they're almost unison. Mm-hmm. So what that means is that would be what I'd pick up to play with Ricky Skaggs. Uh, and I could double fiddle lines on that and the fiddle player wouldn't look at me with a, with a nasty look, you mm-hmm. know, going, who do I tune to? Right. You know, because it's just about unison. So I can play, you know, that's for like bluegrass solos. It's also really good for Celtic stuff. Because okay. same thing with Celtic music. Over the years, the reeds have getting closer and closer. If you listen to some of the old Celtic stuff, there's 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 a wider you know disparity mm-hmm. there. This one here has got just a little more wideness, but not enough to aggravate anybody. So it sits in a track really well. Okay, uh, you know. And then this one here has three reeds in the middle and a low reed. And what I did was I I had it. I had these built custom for me, okay? Oh wow! So nice. it this one has like it's it's they're equidistant. So I have one that's a four forty, and one that's plus seven, one that's minus seven. Okay. So if I put you know two of them in, it's it's got a little character to it, right? If I yeah. put three of them in, it's got more character to mm-hmm. it. it. Might be good for polkas and stuff. But if I pull that middle one out, I'm still theoretically in tune, plus seven, minus seven. Mm-hmm. And it's great for like French music. Okay. You know, immediately you're at a French cafe when you hear something wide, right? Huh. When you hear something really wide, you're listening to AM radio, Mexican stuff, Tejano, Cajunta stuff, in your face splat. Yeah. You know, so that, that little blue one over there has got that, the little honer's got that kind of obnoxious you know listen to me i'm an accordion dang it right okay (laughs) that's fascinating well and then like i mentioned the tone chamber thing too and that uh, a tone chamber is like all the reeds are coming straight out the grill right yeah in a regular accordion in Mm -hmm. a tone chamber instrument they take two of them the bassoon and generally the one of the clarinets the one that's in tune Mm -hmm. and and they 
and instead of coming out the grill, they face them uh, perpendicular. Uh, so they're they're going into a wooden box, okay, like a wooden chamber, mm-hmm. and they're swirling around in there, and then they come out the front. Okay. So it's like all of a sudden, so it completely changes the EQ on it mm-hmm. and it makes it rounder as opposed to pointed. Yeah. So those are the ones that I would play jazz with okay. or swing mm-hmm. or with the West, you know, with the time jumpers. There's a softer quality to it. Yeah. Yeah. Softer, gentler, but I can still get loud, you mm-hmm. know, w- with it. And of course, you know, the bellows are what, what, make you make you louder and then there's also a different way to access the sound of the reeds like this one here mm-hmm. is is a, a chromatic it's a chromatic button accordion okay okay so it actually has way more range than than a keyboard accordion because you know all these buttons and you can put your hand down and make ridiculously uh, big intervals in the chords mm-hmm. with one hand. Mm-hmm. Okay, you can reach two octaves easily and then fill in the spaces. Yeah. So, and I'm dabbling with that just because I think it's cool. And uh, you know, then then there's like the one on the far end over by him. Is oh yeah. It. With the buttons, that's a, a that's what the Mexican uh, music Tejano and that is played mm-hmm. on, and it's it's a different note on the in and the out. Yeah, you know what they call those diatonic. Mm-hmm. So on four buttons, you you can get a whole scale. Yeah, you know do re mi fa so la ti do mm-hmm. with so just four buttons, which is really cool. Basically, think of it as a harmonica. Yeah, yeah. It's exactly the same pattern as a harmonica is. Huh. So with a three row, you've got three harmonicas. You got mm-hmm. a G and a C and an F. Okay. And that's what they play that music on. And of course, they're limited. Uh, mm-hmm. Cajun accordions are one row, diatonic. You want to play in all the keys, you got to have twelve of them. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, I play a little bit of you know that kind of stuff, and it and mainly. I, I've gotten into the those button accordions and the diatonic things, yeah, just so that I know the limitations. Because mm-hmm. I get called to play on a Cajun record, and I'm going to show up with one of these, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's going to sound the same as a Cajun accordion does, but I want to make sure that I'm playing with this. If they want it real pure, and to sound like a guy played it on a single row diatonic mm-hmm. i want to know all the limitations and the quirkiness of of the diatonic so that when i play that i can fool them you can mimic it you know and mimic it exactly yeah. i did the same thing like with a bandonian i did a tango record and uh-huh. and uh i did a whole bunch of research on the bandonian which is a whole nother animal yeah but but basically bandonian is a low read and a middle read nothing out of tune no no two middles in it mm-hmm. and it has a huge range and and it's also you know diatonic and it's 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 got all kinds of coolness to it and uh anyways i so the, the moral of the story, there's a lot of differences, and they involve like practical, creative choices. Absolutely. And so if I show up and somebody, you know, wants me, like one the 
when I went to record with Elvis Costello the first time, I I brought six accordions, mm-hmm. you know, and I think I used four of them, Dang. you know, because I'd hear the song and I go, oh, this is this is a little more jazz oriented. I'm going to use a tone chamber instrument, or this is this is clearly going in a zydeco direction. I'm going to use one of my little ones with three reeds in it. Yeah, yeah. So, question then. How did you get to the point where you had that deep knowledge base of applications for different types of accordions? Because, I mean, for a long time you said you played accordion, then you're like, ah. <coughs> and then you, people were like, you should get back into this. And now you're sitting with this like deep knowledge base. How did you get there? Uh, that's a, I've never thought of that question. It's a great question. And I think, I think it's, it's that I believe that when that light bulb came on, God ignited a passion for it. Hmm. And when you have a passion for something, you're hungry for it, you yeah. know? And so you do whatever it takes to, to gather the knowledge and, and you, so I started, you know, listening different than I had before and, and reading books and, and befriending people who either, uh, played accordion seriously or better yet I've even well just as good is I become really like one of my best friends is a guy who works on accordions he was trained in in uh, in Italy and Germany and he is the head guy for this whole country for Honer oh, wow. you, uh, you Tim, know him yeah. Kurt uh, Tim Schofield and he's brilliant I mean and the stuff that like I asked him, I had a dream. I thought, man, it'd be great to have an accordion with two bassoon reeds because that's not really very normal. I mm-hmm. mean, you, you can find them, but I I had one with a bassoon and a clarinet, a, a low and a middle, mm-hmm. and I wanted two lows. And uh, I told Tim that, and he said, well, yeah, I could do that. I I talked to an accordion shop, and they, they wanted a ridiculous amount of money. It's like $1,200, $1,500 because it was a ton of work. Yeah. Because you have to fit a, a longer reed in a small space. So you'd have to build every single space out. Mm-hmm. These are reed blocks. Yeah. And there's two reeds for each sound. So for a low bassoon C, there's an in reed and an out reed. Okay. So for every one of these keys, if there's if there's three reeds on this accordion, there's six reeds per note. Okay. okay. Yeah. So there's a ton of reeds in there and they all have mm-hmm. to be tuned. So he had to build spaces for all those and he did it. And I remember him saying, he I said, well, how much do you want? And he said, I don't know, would $250 be okay? I said, no, it wouldn't be. <laughs> I said like 400 would be cheap, you know? Right. So yeah, I wound up uh, paying him well and giving him a rototiller that I didn't need. <laughs> there you go. That's Anyways. Better. Yeah, exactly. I, but, it, and and it's brilliant what he made me, uh, uh, you know, is I've got an accordion now with, with two low. One of a kind. Reads. And uh, it's kind of like, um, you know, cause probably that not a lot of your audience is, you know, accordion aficionados, but you right. know, you look at guitarists and like, Oh yeah, why why do you have more than one guitar? Well, this one has this tone to it, and right. this one plays this way. Mm-hmm. And if I really want to rock out, I use this one. Mm-hmm. It's the exact same yeah. thing with accordions, That's... which people don't realize. Because I'm I'm a hack. I've got a couple of accordions because I find it fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's like oh, 
you know, the detuning, you're like, oh, I'm in a French cafe. Mm -hmm. Okay, the another type of tuning. Oh, I'm in a German band. Mm -hmm. And and the more I started looking into accordion, it's like almost every European, both Eastern and Western European music, there's accordion in it. There's this reed instrument because mm -hmm. it's it is so portable. It's a one man, you know, one woman orchestra. Mm -hmm. And that that left hand that nobody knows what's going on over there. It's fascinating because some of those buttons, they all look the same, but it's you know, you've got a button for the bass sound. Bump. Mm -hmm. You you should pick one up and show it. Um, and uh, you know, you've got a whole, two rows of buttons that just cover the bass sound. Yeah. yeah. And then you've got all these different chord options with all these other buttons, so you can create your bass chords, bass chords, yeah. bass chords. Yeah. And then you can do whatever you want on the right hand. Yeah. And so you can cover every part. Yeah. The bass, rhythm, melody. It's melody. A band in a box. Yeah. yeah it's great. Yeah. Yeah, they, and they're and they're like painfully logical the way they're arranged. Yeah, they're circle, it circle of fifths. Circle of fifths. Yeah, good man. Thank you, Jeremiah. I researched Came it prepared. once. Prepared. Yeah. yeah, I had a, I had an accordion phase. <laughs> awesome. He's admitted it. Yeah. Oh yeah. You could join accordions the, anonymous. The, is that the first thing? Yeah. The accordions anonymous. That's the first step. Oh, right. Put him on a twelve half phase. step. The <laughs> only things I ever tried to learn was like a, a waltz version of Yellow by Coldplay. And like a polka version of Take On Me. Excellent. <laughs> Those Excellent. were the two things I was like, okay, I'll practice this. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah the, the, left, the left hand is all, you got a one chord, a four, five chord, and a four chord. One, four, five, everywhere. Yep. So yep. I look at this as being more like a guitar because it's patterned. You know, mm -hmm. you learn a scale and you can play it every, everywhere. You know, you can put that anywhere. You can put it everywhere. <laughs> anything, anything that you play works. Just casually. A couple of rows up. Wow. But stay. <laughs> uh, you said that you can get pigeonholed in the industry, especially as an accordion player, and you're okay with that now. But you casually mentioned that you play a lot of other things. Yeah, at various levels, and some of them I will call live instruments mm -hmm. like i'm playing i'm playing at at somebody's wedding today and i'm playing accordion and penny whistle and mandolin okay and when he mentioned mandolin i i i told i told him i said you know i'm not a real mandolin player you know because mm -hmm. like andy leftwich is a real mandolin player and right. Aubrey haney and ricky skaggs and i have lots of friends that play mandolin right and but i have a, a really I have a nice mandolin, mm -hmm. and uh, and I actually, in fact, that wall there, I was building uh, the studs wall for it, mm -hmm. and I shot this finger with a, a three and a half inch ring shank Ugh. nail gun through a glove and out the other side, Ugh. and I went upstairs and I told my wife, I said, honey, we got to get somebody to pull this out because I can't get it out. <laughs> And she freaked, and so we went. We went to the emergency room, and I told the doctor I had an extra fingernail, and uh, <laughs> he liked that. And and uh, he numbed it up and got some vice grips and pulled it out. And I could only bend it that far. Mm -hmm. And then this was one of the years I was on. Uh, I was at the General Jackson still, a band leader on there. I was playing piano mainly, and. But I picked up the guitar player's guitar and I and I played a couple chords and the F chord hurt. Mm -hmm, and I mm -hmm. thought, 
I bet you this would be good physical therapy. And mm. then I thought it through, and I thought, if I bought a mandolin, that's really like oh, yeah. small. Oh, yeah. A lot and of precision so, and extra strength because it's double strength. Yeah. In a month, I went from that to that. You oh, know, nice. just running scales on a mandolin. Yeah. And so then I wound up with, you know, a, a double that I'm kind of a hack at. But I played it on a few records, you know, when mm-hmm. when the part's simple or whatever. Yeah. I just... You know, I have a speed bump like anything. You know, you pick up a new instrument and you want to play it as well as you play your best instrument. And, mm-hmm. and you know, you have to go back to when you're a kid and practice scales and all the, all the boring stuff. Yep. And uh, so, you know, I'm serviceable at that. I've really gotten way into claw hammer banjo, uh, which I have used on sessions some. Uh I'm fascinated with all the tunings that you can use on those things. It's kind of the kinder, gentler banjo, you know. It's mm-hmm. you're playing with one fingernail and your thumb. It's not right. like picks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm I'm into that. And th- this is a bazooki that I actually built uh, with a friend of mine, uh, who was the postman in Watertown. And huh. you know, it's it's like a, a Celticy. <laughs> It's got, huh. it's kind of like, I picture it as like a 12 string without the clutter. Are some of the strings like drone strings or do you play them technically too? Uh, well, it's, it's, it's tuned just like a mandolin, but oh, okay. they're octave strings. Oh, okay. okay. So it's got like an, like a 12 string guitar vibe on a mandolin. Exactly. Okay. That's why I, I and, and it's, to me, it's like a 12 string without the clutter because with only four sets of strings you mm-hmm. know it doesn't have as much they, these are unisons you know the top strings are unisons just like on a 12 string yeah but you said it's tuned like a mandolin but is it, it like is an octave well lower? i've got it irish tuned right now which was which is like a mandolin down here g d a but then the e is dropped to a d so okay yeah. so then it becomes kind of like a dulcimer mm-hmm. yeah it's like got a G2 open string yep. strum kind of sound. Yeah. But yeah. it's cool. And uh, that 10-inch banjo I built uh, with with my friend Dave Dillard, who's probably one of the best banjo builders on the planet as, as far as open backs go. He just huh. went full time and uh, he built the 12-inch one which, there. Which one is it? I want to hear. The, that's the 12-inch. This is, this is the one that I that I built and it's it's built with nylon strings oh but when you talk about claw hammer what's what does that mean yeah it's just it's a it's a fun style Mike Snyder's the one that kind of I played with him on the Opry for a year and Mm -hmm. uh, he's astounding at it I mean like plays melodic stuff and I kind of I've been way into that. So, question. Yeah. So, you've probably, you've split your time between playing live and in different spaces and different reasons and playing in studio stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you have a preference between the two? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, but I could not, I, don't, I, I would not enjoy doing without one. Mm. Okay. And there's a lot of session players that don't play live at all. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't live that life with cans on all the time, you mm-hmm. know, and just like, and there's also, well, it's this, 
it's the same pressure. It's I th- I think it's a a more refined pressure when you're in the studio. Sometimes like the uh, recently I told my wife because I had been working like I don't know string of 14 or 15 days in a row and like slam stuff in the day and night. Yeah. And I, I made the comment to her. I said, you know, I'm just tired of having to be brilliant. You know? <laughs> and I, I, I don't say that as an egotistical statement. I yeah. mean, it's just like, it, it's like if you're working in Nashville mm-hmm. as a musician, you're really good. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cause, cause if, if there's so many musicians that come here and they they want to you know they want to make it and they realize oh my gosh this is this water is really deep i'm drowning mm-hmm. you know cuz if you figure if you were the best player in your town well how many towns are there in the country yeah exactly every one of them shows up in there yeah as soon as you show up this the day i got here i was i was by far not the best musician in town mm-hmm. and so then it's time to roll your sleeves up and and get better Mm-hmm. And, you know, like Time Jumpers has been like the coolest experience because all these guys are virtuosos at their instruments mm-hmm. and they're and we're all like each other's biggest cheerleader. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we're all egging each other on and pushing each other and, and forcing each other out of our comfort zones to like not play the same kind of things every night on the same song but mm-hmm. like go out there yeah. you know there's guys that are more uh uh, uh bold about that mm-hmm. joe spivey's the one that comes to mind in the band right now he's a fiddle player and he's, he's just like he's got no filter at all and i <laughs> love it because whatever he thinks immediately comes out as instrument mm-hmm. and if it paints him in a corner he just he just figures a way to get out, you know? Huh. Uh, and, and I love that, you know, about being around players like that. And mm-hmm. so that, that's, that's forced me to become a, you're only going to get better. It's like playing tennis with somebody better than you. You're going to get better. They probably won't, but you will. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got to speak into this because I mean, you've, you've been talking about accordion. You're, you're so low key about all this, but um, I did a project, uh, Randall Good Games, uh, Slugs and Bugs. Look it up, uh, order it for your kids. And we wanted to do this Americana slash Nashville slash country slash bluegrass sort of sound for the score. So I um, I knew I was, and, and talking with the director, we wanted to bring in some players. And um, so I had Jeff and Stuart Duncan, just premier fiddle player, and it just... Mm-hmm like one other guy on guitar and then Randall played a little bit of ukulele. So just four of them. And all I did is I took, um, I took common chord changes. Let's take, I remember I did five foot two, five foot two. And I just wrote out the chords and I said, we don't want that melody. We want you guys to do, take something on it. Mm. And I just, I just handed out that music Mm -hmm. and just set them loose. And I mean, that was the one of the most inspiring, enjoyable days for me. I'm just sitting here in a studio with these four guys in a semicircle, just ripping away. And I'm going to send you a video because you will. Uh, people don't understand what I'm talking about, but they'd play it like one time through, and okay, that's a take. And then Jeff say, "Well, let's do it in Zydeco version this time." Boom! They just switch into Zydeco. They do another take, same chord changes. Okay, let's do this. And I had, you know, maybe a dozen different chord changes and they just ripped through all these. And in literally three or four hours, we had a whole season's worth of score 
for that show, just trading off. And it's it's just astounding because they literally had not seen the music. There wasn't any music. It was just chord changes. And they literally didn't practice. I mean, they just literally first time through, oh, okay, boom. Mm -hmm. And it's just astounding the level of musicianship here. And it's just such a joy because it was just so carefree. Yeah, it was fun. Um, we were, we were, there was no stress in the room, and that part of that is uh, uh, part of that is to Kurt's credit of uh, whoever's uh, directing traffic. You know, mm-hmm. can create a mood of freedom mm-hmm. to be who you are and do what you you know want to do, or they can corral you mm-hmm. and make it stressful. Uh, and and he manages to create a free atmosphere also and then when you see the end result the way he uses all that stuff that we did uh Mm. in just the right amounts like a master chef you know putting a little pepper in here and a little garlic salt in here or whatever and and he he's the guy that does that (laughs) super super big kurt fan have been uh, since uh larry and bob shout out to kurt come on but i'm i'm a hack i mean that's why i only (laughs) i'm not a studio musician i only work out of my studio because i can fix everything but i think that's one thing that that you know we learned from you is you know your main instrument. You what you well. You came in thinking you were going to be a writer. Then you were a piano player. Then you were an accordion player. Um, most everybody that's serious about music has more than one instrument. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so Jeff, I mean, right. he's got right. you know stacks of Irish whistles over here because mm-hmm. he's a killer Irish whistle player. He's got a baritone and a trumpet because he grew up as a brass player. He's a keyboardist. He's a guitarist. He's an accordion player. And and I'm sure he's going to say one. Of, he's stronger on one than the others, but he's used every one of them because, hey, this piece just needs a little bit of this little lick. Mm-hmm. Ah, this magic opens up. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was the same way. It's like, you know, in my 30s, I was like, I really like this Irish whistle sound. And I picked one up and got a CD and I taught myself and I've, and I've done 13 projects for Mark Hammond on Disney stuff. But I am like this compared to a Jeff Taylor on Irish Whistle. But I figured out what, okay, if I bend this note, if I play vibrato this way, it it gives it a sound. It's musical. We talked about that one in my interview. Yeah. It's the musicianship. It's not the instrument itself, but it's you figuring out yeah. how to breathe with your accordion to follow a, a lyrical line instead of just boom, chunk, chunk, chunk. Yeah. So it's all that musicianship. Yeah, you, you made a good point about the whistle because there... To, to me, I'm a hack at the whistle, and I look when I look at John Mock and and uh, and Sean uh, Cunningham. There's a few really like tr- true traditional Irish whistle players in this town. I mean, Sean Cunningham was he played my B flat whistle on something. I had a John Sint, which is kind of a rare whistle, and uh, it's like a a few years to wait on one of those, and he freaked over it. And at the end of the night, I said. Just keep it, Sean. <laughs> you know, because I have you know an inexpensive B flat whistle for what what I do. But it's what you you're touching on there is that a really a really a truly good commercial musician, which is what both of us are. I mean, we know what works. We know how to come up with a line. So if I could. If you gave me a saxophone, which I don't play, mm-hmm. and you gave me a you know the day, and I had something that needed just a little bit of saxophone on it, I 
because I know what musical lines to play on any other instrument, I mm-hmm. would know, I would come up with something that yeah. would work, you know? Uh, and, it, and it's more about being smart and thinking like a commercial musician, mm. you know? You don't have to be like a, a heavy jazz cat. Yeah. But on the same, <laughs> in the same way, like you would not believe the Nashville musicians, and you know this, that are insanely good jazz musicians mm-hmm. that are playing on all these country records. Yeah. And to the point of where you were kind of moving, I'm curious, in the time that you've spent in the studio um, working on records and things like that, what has been the most valuable thing you've learned about that space and how to operate in that space? Oh, I got a great quote for you. Kenny Malone. Did you know Kenny? Mm-mm. Kenny was a, we lost Kenny this year. He's 83 years old. Uh, brilliant percussionist. He played on, uh, uh, oh gosh, give me the beat boys that bleed my soul. Got oh yeah. 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 Yep. It's Kenny. Kenny became like this great uh, Americana folk percussionist, just like brilliant player. He played on all of Buddy Green's records with me. Hmm. And, uh, he was being interviewed by Modern Drummer or some magazine once, and they said, "They said, uh, how do you come up with such a great part, you know, in the studio?" And Kenny just—he didn't even skip a beat. He goes, "I got one rule." And they go, well, "What's that?" He said, "It's got to be better than silence." Hmm. And that's one of those things that really just grabbed a hold of me because. So much. I was doing a track before you came here for uh, uh, the is a Fanny Crosby lyric that that they found like Fanny Crosby wrote like eight thousand hymns, right? Mm-hmm. The blind hymn writer in the eighteen hundreds. Yeah. And uh, but you know we only have a, a handful of them in our hymnals, and somebody uh, up it was up in Chicago at, at uh, Wheat uh, Moody. Yeah, at Moody, they found all these. Uh, they had them at the C.S. Lewis Library, I think. They had them in, in that area. Oh, wow. uh, they had all her lyrics, and somebody in Nashville got a hold of them, and the different guys have been writing you know, to that, and they're working on a project of this. And uh, I played on something that Joy Williams sang you know, from the Civil Wars. Uh, gorgeous voice. And... The producer told me, you know, and he's not going to be here, which is a little daunting when you're working on your own. It's mm-hmm. fine when somebody sends you something for an independent record, but if mm-hmm. it's like somebody, you know, that's big, you know, yep. I, I, I'd almost rather the producer be here. Mm-hmm. But he trusted me and he said, he said, uh, I'd say less is more. And, and that's like such a, it's such a, thing that's in my mind so often when I'm in the studio because when I first got here when everybody first gets here and you play on sessions you start you know you're prone to want to show who you are and how good you can play and you realize really quickly that you're in a room full of guys that can play what you just played backwards and twice as fast you know Mm -hmm. so so you start realizing like Nashville is a songwriter's town, okay? Mm-hmm. And so the song is king and the lyric is king. So 
everything that I play in the studio, if if it's not an instrumental, you know, if I'm playing on somebody's song, that was the other thing about Kenny Malone. He wanted a chart, but he wanted the lyrics also. He wanted to see what kind of mood he was creating, you know, mm-hmm. and it's odd. I've played with some very well-known musicians that are in different genres like Celtic and, and uh, in the studio and, the, and, and people who aren't Nashville musicians, this isn't true always, but I've had this experience where it's like they don't understand how to play to the lyric. So it's the they'll be playing over the top of somebody singing. Yeah. And it's like, no, you don't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a rhythmic instrument, yeah, you're providing a bed for them to sing over. But if you're any kind of a fill instrument, don't even think about filling over a lyric, mm-hmm. you know? That's what we're trying to get it. That's the point of this song. We're trying to get across about the whatever it is. I don't care if the dog died or 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 the <laughs> you know the truck quit or whatever you know but it, we're telling a story here yeah and so the idea is to stay away and and uh play play in the holes and even then make sure that it's something that that doesn't draw too much attention to to i gotta be me mm-hmm. you know no it's not about me it's about the song yeah, and uh, if I could say one thing to any young players out there, you know, about Nashville, that this is this is a great place to be in school, you know, mm-hmm. and learn that, learn how to play a song and how to how to, you know, there's a verse in John John three thirty, he must increase, I must decrease, you know. Hmm. I always feel like that when I'm working on somebody's project. Uh, they called me for a reason. They want me to be there, but it is not about me. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm making my own record, then that's different. You know. Yeah, that's cool. Has has the accordion? Well, I think about. I mean, you've done all of these things, but then when I heard you're playing with Riders in the Sky, I'm like, that's Woody's Roundup. That's Disney. That I mean, people know that. You know, Woody's Roundup. Yeah. How many times have you played that now? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and and I know that you know you weren't a founding member. You're you're. Uh, filling in for the other guy but you know any fun stories with that just or you know has the has the accordion opened some doors like you've got a picture of you with billy graham there on the wall like man i got to do this because yeah it opened a ton of doors like yeah playing with buddy green opened a ton of really cool doors for me in the you know in the gospel world and in the bluegrass world playing with ricky skaggs he he had me on a record of his early early on uh, when I started back to the accordion and he was producing a lot of stuff and like all of a sudden accordion started <laughs> creeping back into the bluegrass world. You know, Bill Monroe mm-hmm. had an accordion player in his his original bluegrass boys. Wow. And uh, and and so yeah, Sally Ann Forrester. Mm-hmm. Howdy, I think it's Howdy Forrester's uh, wife. This is back in the forties. And uh but anyways, there's like a guy like Ricky Skaggs trusting you with his music mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden putting me on, you know, records that he's producing on one or two cuts here and there. It opened up, you know, a whole bunch of doors. And yeah, playing with the Riders has been just a, a blast. I always feel like I need to buy a ticket when I'm playing with them because <laughs> they're so darn funny and they're so... 
you know, and they're they're just to me they're the most entertaining thing on on there on, on any it's given night yes, because it's like old school entertainment. They're funny. They're brilliant musicians. They're they're back to the days of uh, you know when when. Uh, when entertainment was like this, it was like larger than life. And mm-hmm. there's there's a there's something about them too that I mean it appeals to the kid in all of us. And I noticed when I started doing some road trips with them because I've done some with them that there was often like uh, an older down or older or younger Down syndrome child or person in the audience that were just like all dressed up like a cowboy and freaking out and oh, making great. noises during the show and all that. And and when we get to the end of the show and we go out to the record table, they would make a big deal over these these people, these kids, and they'd stand it. We get them to stand in line with us and do the cowboy way pose, you know, <laughs> with the and and uh, it was just the respect and the love that they treat their fans with. I love that. And then also one quick funny story: the first yeah. time I went on the road with them, probably 10, 12, 15 years ago. I don't know. Uh, I had played a few songs with them on the Opry, but this was like doing, you know, two hours. Mm-hmm. So I got thrown into the fire. We get in the van. We drive to like Oklahoma, you know, long, long, long drive and mm-hmm. get out of there. We get ready and, and we're doing our first show. And I got my two tractor supply show shirts, you know, snap ups. And <laughs> and they got their like $2,000 Manuel shirts. You know, they got a whole rack of clothes in the back <laughs> of the van and. You know, they've been doing it forever and, and they've had all these things made by Nudie and Manuel. And yeah, they're, yeah. they're gorgeous. And so I I get dressed for the, you know, and go out on stage and then we take a break and I realize they're all changing their shirt. And I go, oh man, I bought two shirts for two days. <laughs> so I put my other shirt on. Well, the next night <laughs> I, I'm, I'm putting my first tractor supply shirt on, you know, and $35 or whatever it was. And and uh, Ranger Doug comes in, and we're in the time jumpers together, so we're friends. But he comes in with this gorgeous green shirt with red roses embroidered on it and roping and all this stuff, you know. <laughs> and, and he holds it out, and he goes, hey, Jeff, why don't you try this on? You know, and in my mind, I'm going, okay, translation, your tractor supply shirt sucks. And, <laughs> and so I put it on, and it fit like a glove. I mean, it was great, and I went out there and really really like felt better and everything that's and, amazing and uh, at the end of the night i give it back to him and he goes oh just hang on to it he said i'll never fit in that shirt again and then <laughs> like, the next year he lost 30 pounds and i keep going doug do you want your shirt back <laughs> and he's got like 60 shirts he said no it's yours and he did the same thing with my my cheesy hat you know he comes in with a hat box to the opera and he goes hey jeff what size hat do you take? <laughs> so he gives me this hat, and it's like, you know, you got to check the door size when you walk in with this giant cartoony cowboy hat. Oh, and man. it's very expensive, of course. And translation, your your tractor supply shirt uh, hat also sucks. <laughs> so now I have a really great hat and a really great shirt, and... Uh, and I'll wear them tonight after <laughs> That's awesome. After I play the wedding. Well, hey, 
Thank you so much for for sitting down and chatting with us, letting us into your your studio. Well, you're very welcome, um, and just telling us some stories and teaching me about all of the differences of accordions. I feel like my knowledge base has quadrupled at least. So thank you. Well, you're welcome. Uh, you're welcome. My pleasure. My yeah. pleasure. All right, and thank you, Kurt, for following us along all season. Oh, this has been my treat. I've loved. The I want to hear these stories. Co-host, really? Yeah. 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 No, this has been great. Yeah. The Ed yeah. McMahon of Jeremiah's <laughs> podcast. Yeah, right. There's a there's a lull, and you know, I'll jump in with right. Somebody. No, it's been great. Appreciate. It's been a great season. So. Yep. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we'll see awesome. you guys next time in season three. Season three. Bye. Yeah. So. It's been really... I have a bunny at my foot. <laughs> Hi, bunny. Um, <laughs> hey, girl. Um, and so being this uh, ambitious, like, 12-year-old kid or something, I went on Google and found Kurt's email address, and I was like, hey, you should make the music for this movie that I'm making. Um, <laughs> and, oh, my gosh. Right, I need right? to be interviewing you. This is going to be way better than any of my stories. Dude, nice dog. Oh yeah, that's Elwood. He's our director of client services. Wow. Yeah, welcome. Anyway, yeah. It's beautiful. A actually, welcome. Even yeah. I welcomed you like an hour ago. Do you know what ADATs oh. are? Yeah, but I couldn't tell you. Uh, that's when. That's when. Music started going down the crapper. Because <laughs> everybody's working at home. Right. Uh, like I am now. I love it. But. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Five thousandth consecutive Saturday night show Holy on cow. radio. Jeez. Isn't that amazing? Five thousand. Yeah. Five thousand. Yeah, they've been counting them down too. The last. He's been there for every one of them, right? <laughs> yeah, you don't look that old. Yeah, thank you. All right, right. Veggie tales, veggie tales. You can you can say nacho Favorite libre. Show. It's okay. Favorite show. That's Favorite show. For the record, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um. <laughs>